Welcome in episode eighteen, Hard Knocks. Um, couple couple frustrating twenty four hours after watching that basketball game, huh, Lo? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> that was. Uh, that I'd is. rather watch. Uh, I'd rather watch. Uh, literally anything. Uh, so we got a big show today. We got. Um, let's see, SEC championship review. We have a guest coming in. We haven't had a guest since Maurer, I don't think. Um, but we got a Purdue writer coming in, going to answer some questions from us about the um, about the Music City Bowl. Um, what do you want to talk about first? I guess SEC championship game, right? A little bit of uh, conference uh, conference games last weekend. I don't think nobody really expected that. The what happened in Atlanta. Uh, Lo, go ahead and uh, get us started with this. What do you think about that game particularly, and did they get the college football playoff right? Well, first of all, I didn't. One thing I didn't expect was how high scoring it was. Um, I definitely thought it was going to be more of a low scoring game, and I thought it would be a lot closer. Um, Bryce Young played one of his one of the best games I've seen him play this year. I. Um, I mean, he had 421 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And, you know, for the longest, I felt that he was not like a big standout candidate. Um, But that game, that was definitely one of the best games I've watched him play. You know, Alabama put up 41 on Georgia. That was pretty shocking. But in the end, I was kind of – teeter-tottering on who I was going to bet, but I did bet Alabama money on, and I got some money from that, so I was happy. Um, In terms of every – I'm sick of Alabama winning everything. I know everyone's like – half people are split. They're like, well, let's, you know, affiliate with the SEC. And then at the same time, I'm so sick of Alabama winning everything. Um, In terms of the playoff – I saw some people saying Michigan should be number one. I absolutely do not think so. Um, I don't see any reason why. I think Alabama should have been number one for beating the number one team. Um, In terms of the other shit, I think it was just kind of placed that way so that they didn't have another immediate Alabama-Georgia matchup. But that's just kind of my take on the whole thing. I was just happy to win some money. Bandit, you're up, buddy. All right. Uh, you know, uh, Saban's going to Saban. That's about all I really got to say about it. Um, but obviously, you know, I started digging into this thing, and uh, one thing led to another. Um, I think Georgia lost it because of their offense, and I think, you know, it should have been known. Georgia fans probably get tired of hearing this, but that Stetson Bennett dude, he's never going to cut the mustard. Um, and then you go look. They got Stetson Bennett and JT Daniels. They, I really don't think Georgia has a quarterback that can win a big game. Um, even that JT Daniels kid, I uh, don't remember the whole story on that, but I know we were in on him. And um, that's the year that uh, I think Pruitt ended up bringing in Hooker towards the end of that year. That was Pruitt's last year, I think. Um, but Georgia, Georgia's got to find some offense. Um, and I, I know that sounds weird because obviously, you know, they've been beating everybody, but um, they've got Todd Munkin at OC. 
started digging into him. Um, 2018, he was the Tampa Bay Bucks offensive coordinator. They went 5-11. 2019, offensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns, 6-10. 2020, they came to Georgia. And, you know, I get it. They win games. But that offense, it, it just hasn't really looked big and flashy since Jim Chaney left. Um, so, yeah, I think Georgia. I think Georgia needs to look into their offensive coordinator this offseason. Uh, I've said this from the beginning that from a Tennessee fan standpoint, you know, from a talking shit standpoint, the 1980 um, thing. Now we needed to pull for Bama. Now probably they're going to have to beat them twice. And I've also said it the year that all year that the one team that had that could match up to um, Georgia was Alabama. Now we'll see if Michigan can hold can hold with them. I personally don't think. Um, we'll see if they can match up with them in a in a few weeks. Um, somebody mentioned Ohio State. I guess we won't find out if if they could. Um, you know, when you play an average QB. Eventually, it's going to show. I, I, he's a, he's fine for them, and he's fine for twelve weeks of an SEC schedule when not playing Bama. But I just I'm not I've never been a Stetson Bennett guy. Um, you know he he does what he needs to do for them, but it showed up Saturday. Um, one thing that rubbed me the wrong way and on the timeline was, and I'm not trying to be a Georgia homer, and I'm not trying to do this and do that. But for 12 weeks, we claimed that Georgia was the best team in the country. Well, as soon as they get beat by the third-ranked team, all of a sudden we have this argument that, you know, Georgia shouldn't be in the playoff, which is just asinine, just stupid. I just And then we talk about how they haven't played anybody. Well, then on the flip side, if you're going through Bama's um, – Resume, you try to find them a good win, okay? Well, you want to mention Georgia. So if Georgia isn't a good win for Bama, then how come we're saying that Georgia's not not deserve? It just, I mean, at the time of the game, Georgia has beaten four rank four top twenty five teams, and say what you want about it, but this isn't nineteen ninety nine anymore. There's not ten quality teams that can beat can win the national championship. There's three, maybe two. And when people say quality wins, college football is so top heavy and it's so watered down that I don't think you can use that as a case anymore in today's world. In the NFL, they don't use style points. I mean, you know, they stack the wins up at the end of the season and whoever has uh, the most get to go to the playoffs. So I just didn't like that. I mean, I'm not trying to be a Georgia homer or take up for them. I just, I just, did, I just rubbed me the wrong way. But I, I wasn't expecting a butt whooping. That's for sure. Um, we'll see if they can do it again. But uh, as for the other games, the other games kind of went as expected. The Oklahoma State game, how heartbreaking! I feel like that'd be the most Tennessee, Tennessee thing ever. We lose by a yard. Um, but that QB played horrible throughout the game. I actually had money on who they play. They play, had money on Baylor. And they, um, I'm glad it went the way it did, but just a horrible game by that QB. He threw like three or four interceptions. He was god awful. But uh, that the rest of the games kind of went 
I'm actually surprised a little bit about the Oregon game. Uh, they got swamped twice by Utah. But uh, anything anything from Saturday? Anything that anybody else? Yeah, I just want to get a, a quick take from you. Um, you were talking about how um, there's only two or three teams that you feel could really win the national championship this year and probably been that way for a couple of years now. Do you think if they expand the playoffs that that'll open up more more kids will be more likely to go to uh, the top ten schools instead of the top four. I was with your question until the end, and that actually does make a good point that I never did think about. Do people go to Bama and Clemson because they want to play in the playoff? I mean, that's a good question. Um, I think they go more for exposure and NLI deals at this moment. Yeah, um, that's kind of a tough question. So the first part of your question, so – um. Yes, I do think a bigger playoff will hopefully increase parity because you know more more chance of an upset. I mean, if you play, if you play, if you have to play four games, okay, you know, wear and tear on your body, all that, you know, who knows what could happen? Bama could just not show up one day, which is really rare. But look at the Texas A&M week. It did happen. Um, that's that's a good question. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I want to see more parity. I want to see – I remember just when I was a kid from like 2000 when, when Clawson was at Tennessee, there would always be like five or six teams, seven, eight, nine teams that could win it. Now it's like Clemson, Ohio State, and Bama. That's basically it. I just wanted to say real quick on that, I think with the transfer portal, we'll start to see that change because – Players are just going to where – some players anyway are now just going to where they can get playing time, and I think that that's really going to change things up and kind of equalize the talent more as we go through the next few years. It's kind of like that – have you all seen that picture where uh, Mac Jones, Tua, and Jalen Hurts was all standing together? And if you think about it, all three are now starting NFL quarterbacks. I just can't wrap my head – Take Mac Jones, for instance. He was basically the last one on the totem pole. Mac Jones goes to Bama. Why would you go to Bama and have to wait till? well, he waited till he's a senior year to start. You know, why would, why would you want to go and be fifth on the depth chart? Like, Camara was like fifth or sixth when he went to Bama at first. Like, I just don't understand that. A, ten, a team like Tennessee trying to be on the up and up, we can sell playing time. So, I – you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Anything else for anybody? All right, what else do we got? Okay, so what time is our guy coming on? About 8.30? Your uh, mics. Your mic. I have, I've got him on standby right now if you want to go on to that. Okay, we can bring him on. Right. So we're going to bring in our guy, Kyle Charters. He was nice enough to come on, take some time out of his day. And uh, there he is. What's up, Kyle? <laughs> Hello. How are you guys? Doing pretty good, well. Good, Thank good. you for taking the time out of your, uh, your uh, what, daddy? daddy uh, yes. I, I have two uh, 16-month-old twins, and they are you. now asleep. Or I got you. Two floors above me screaming. I can still hear them. But, uh, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on and talking a little bit of Purdue football. We uh, got, obviously, a Music City Bowl coming up with them in Tennessee. Um. Let's talk about you for a second. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What have you been doing? Um, 
with Purdue and, and what, what's some of the stuff you write about and where can we find your stuff? Uh, currently I write about Purdue for Saturday tradition. Um, previously I've done a number of things. I uh, worked for golden black illustrated on the rivals network for about 15 years. Um, what else? Uh, I hosted a radio show before COVID. Uh, unfortunately, we got uh, we got the axe when COVID hit a year ago, um, which was which was too bad. Still host a, a pregame show on the same uh, station, and uh, do Purdue baseball play by play, which I've done for 19 years. So uh, hopefully, we'll make a trip down to to Tennessee one day. That would be yeah. That would be nice. Let, let's say that. Um... And this is kind of true from my part. Let's say nobody has ever heard of the 2021 Purdue Bullmakers, which I, today I had to look up some of the stuff. Like I didn't even look at their schedule till today. Give us yeah. a, a mini summary of their season. What's some of the stuff they've been going through? Well, I, you know, exceeding expectations. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, you know, before the season, I think. Uh, if, if, if you were a Purdue fan, you definitely would have taken six wins, got back to a bowl game after a two year absence and felt like the program was headed in the right direction again. You know, when Jeff Brown came five years ago, Purdue had won nine games in four years, nine in four years. Um, and so the expectation level for a quick turnaround was not very high, but Jeff Brown took Purdue to back-to-back bowl games in his first two years, which was a little shocking. Um, and then the last two years have, have been a little bit more of a challenge. Now, some of that is injury-related. Some of it maybe, you know, pandemic-related last year. But the expectation for this year was to, you know, get six wins, get back into the postseason. And and really, you know, before the bye week, Purdue lost to Minnesota at home, a game that they just did not look very good in. It was raining. Uh, it, it just was sort of a miserable afternoon in ross Stadium. And they went to that bye week, three and two, had number two Iowa coming up next out of the bye. And you were sort of wondering if Purdue could get to six wins. And then suddenly it beats Iowa. It, it wins on the road at Nebraska. It slips up at home to Wisconsin and then beats a top five Michigan state team at home the week after that. And suddenly, you know, Purdue was well within striking distance of, of six wins and then could exceed that even. And so uh, if I had to summarize it, I mean, just the, the, you know, exceeding expectation and getting to eight wins is a pretty good achievement for this team. Sounds pretty good. You cool with taking some around the horn questions from us here? Sure. Sure. Low, you're up. Again, thank you for coming on and talking with us, Kyle. Um, it First of all, I just want to say it sounds like very similar to Tennessee's season and the fact that we were only predicted to win three games or so. Yeah. And we ended up winning seven. Um, that was definitely exceeding expectations. One of my things, I guess, first of all, before I ask my question, have you followed much about Tennessee at all this year? Probably, I wouldn't say. Yeah, either. I mean, a, a little bit, but you know, I I've watched so much Purdue and Big Ten football that I can't say that I've I've watched a ton. Uh, I watched I watched the one part of the game that probably no one wants to talk about the the fans getting all upset. What was that? The Ole Miss game? Yes. Uh, yeah. and, <laughs> and throw. I just happened for whatever reason happened to turn on the TV and caught the last five minutes of that game. But you know, I, I know Josh Heupel. Obviously, it's it's interesting that. You know, he was playing 
at the same time as you know Drew Brees at Purdue, and that's when I was a student, oh, way back, cool. you know, twenty five years ago or whatever it is now, twenty years ago. And so, you know, there's that little bit of tie there, I guess, that those two guys are sort of contemporaries. Um, you know, and know the quarterback situation, you know, having done a little bit of, of research on on Tennessee with the, the two guys transferring in and, you know, the success that Heupel has had with the offense down there in his first year. I mean, I think there are some similarities between the teams in that regard that, you know, I, I would expect that both teams will be able to score. Yeah. Uh, down, down in Nashville. Um, you know, if I look at things, I think maybe Purdue's defense might be a little bit better, but that's with George Karloftis, and I'm not sure Big George is going to play or not. I mean, he has declared for the NFL. It's sort of unclear, I think, whether he or David Bell will play in the game. That hasn't necessarily been cleared up. I I would suspect that neither plays in the bowl game, um, but I, they haven't straight up just said that yet, so, so I don't know. But... Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been able to follow him at least uh, a little bit. Okay. Um, the reason why I was kind of figuring out where you were at was because I was going to ask you, um, do you feel like Purdue holds a specific advantage over Tennessee in like one area or several areas? And if, if you think so, could you elaborate a little bit on that? I, I would just look at it from a Purdue perspective. The Purdue's passing game is, is hard for a lot of teams uh, to be able to slow down right now. Uh, Aiden O'Connell came in in, what, the fourth or fifth game and became the starter. Now, it's not like he just came out of nowhere to become the starter. He had started seven or eight games before this year. Actually came to Purdue as a walk-on. Uh, that was back when I was covering the, the team every day for Golden Black, and we see this <laughs> tall walk-on. And, you know, walk-ons, they usually can't throw the ball 15 yards, and it, you know, looks like a duck, and – and he came out and was just zinging the ball around the yard. And I talked to one of my coworkers. I'm like, who is this guy? And, you know, you noticed him way back then. And uh, he has a little bit of magic in his arm or something. I mean, he, he just has the ability to, to put the ball where it needs to go. And it was a close battle between him and Jack Plummer for the starting job. Aiden actually beat Jack a year ago, and then got hurt. And then this year, Jack beat him out. And then they made the change. And Purdue's just been really good offensively since then, um, since he sort of got going. And I don't know what the stats are the last five games. He's averaging 360 yards a game and completing 75% of his passes. And yeah. Downs and no interceptions. I mean, it's been really good. So, I mean, that's the – to me, if you look at Tennessee's numbers defensively and Purdue's numbers offensively, particularly in the passing game, that would be a strength, I think, certainly for Purdue in the game. Yeah, I'd have to say I agree. I saw that currently um, in the air total yards was 4,086 for you guys. And, you know, I'm Taylor, Alante Taylor, one of our key guys is not going to be playing. So on defense anyway, so that's kind of something that I'm a little iffy about. But I'll go ahead and let Bandit over here give his question. Hey, Kyle, once again, thanks for coming on with us. Um, I've got just some quick hitters here. Um, you just mentioned Aiden O'Connell. I've got down, um, what was it, 26 touchdowns and eight interceptions this year. All eight interceptions during the first six games, zero interceptions the last six games. Yeah. You think that's just nerves and settling in, or was it weaker competition those well, last six games? 
a little bit of it was circumstance. So he came in. He came into the Notre Dame game halfway through the game. Purdue was trailing. He threw a couple of, you know, I think he started off his first drive deep in their own territory, trying to get Purdue's offense going a little bit. It had been stagnant until then. Those two interceptions, at least one of those two was a deflection. Um, and the other one is just in complete garbage time where he's just trying to chuck the ball down the field. It was a somewhat similar story than the next week. He came off the bench again against Illinois. And the Purdue's offense again was just going nowhere. It, it, it was a weird season, and the Purdue scored 13 points in in four of a five games over a five week span. And for a Jeff Brom offense, it's just pretty incredible. And that's you know part of why Purdue made the quarterback change. But he came in again against Illinois, and again they were trailing, and again he was trying to force the ball down the field a little bit, and again one of them was on a deflection. Um, and then he just didn't play very well against Wisconsin. Uh, you know, Purdue and Wisconsin is, is just a bad matchup for Purdue. Purdue has not beaten them since, what, 2003? They're not beating them at home since 1997. Uh, you know, just the big physical teams like Wisconsin with, you know, big offensive line, great running backs. Purdue has always had trouble with them. And so Purdue struggled against Wisconsin at home. Again, he threw three picks. But really, you know, since then he's been great. And he does not – historically he has – and I kept telling people this as he was throwing all these interceptions. And then, you know, he threw three more against Wisconsin. I'm like, no, I'm serious. He, <laughs> he does not – he is not a, a, a turnover machine. He, If you look at his numbers even in the past couple of seasons when he has started, he does not turn the ball over a ton. And so it was a little bit odd to see him throwing the ball to the other team you know, through those first few games when he was coming off the bench and then when he became the starter. Okay. And then I've got um, – did some looking at the O-line. Only gave up 16 sacks this year. That's that's uh, pretty good. And um, – but then only 83 and a half rushing yards per <laughs> game. Is that by design just because Purdue throws the ball so much? It's not necessarily by design. Uh, it's mostly because Purdue doesn't run the ball very well. Uh, they would like to be able to run it better than they do. The offensive line is good in pass protection. It's it's not been great uh, at run blocking. Um, it doesn't have a lot of depth, but I think they've made it through the season with only six guys starting. I think, I think Greg Long, their left tackle, missed one game. They had to shuffle things up a little bit. But it's been pretty good. Um, Purdue had a lot of depth in the spring, and then they had like five or six guys all got hurt. And many of them have actually retired from football because of injuries. So the depth was sort of depleted. Purdue also lost its starting running back against UConn. Uh, Xander Horvath, who is a a big, uh, almost fullback type. I mean, he's a 6'1", 240, really good between the tackles, but he broke his ankle against UConn of all teams, who's, you know, not very good. <laughs> Uh, and missed probably, what, six six or seven weeks. And he's come back, but not quite the same, I don't think. You know, you miss a, two months, basically. You're not quite going to be the same guy, especially that kind of, you know, between the tackles runner. Purdue only had basically the most they've had. They've had two scholarship running backs active for each game all year. Yeah. Pretty much it. They had to move Jackson Anthrop into the – into the backfield, he's a slot receiver, a guy who's been on the team for six years, and I think is their third leading receiver. 
they moved him into the backfield at times, and you'll probably see him in the backfield, I would imagine, in the bowl game. He'll probably get four or five handoffs. He, he can a little bit more shifty. Purdue just doesn't have a guy who can get outside the tackles and and get upfield, and Jackson probably does that as well as anybody or, or better than anybody. But, yeah, they don't run the ball well. If A success for Purdue running the ball would be if they can, like, you know, pick up four yards on a first and 10 from the 15 and make it a little bit more manageable red zone situation or, you know, convert a couple third and shorts. That would be a successful day uh, for Purdue running the football. They just want to be able to have that threat that like if they had to run and gain a first down, they could do it. And they've for the most part been able to manufacture that. Okay. And then uh, one last thing I've got um, that looked at, Looked at some defensive stats here. I've got Tennessee at 32 sacks, Purdue at 23 sacks. Tennessee, 50 pass deflections, Purdue, 42 pass deflections. Tennessee, 10 interceptions, Purdue, 13 interceptions on the year. But then I went and looked at four or five uh, different, like, uh, college football rating sites, and, you know, you, you never know what they're using to come up with this rating, but – um, on most of them, Purdue's defense was rated uh, a lot higher than the Vols. Um, why do you think that is? Well, Purdue had one really bad game <laughs> against Ohio State. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the final numbers were. It gave up 500 yards and 60-whatever points it was. Um, but otherwise, it's been pretty good. You know, Purdue basically – well, Bob Diaco got fired after only six games at Purdue. He was the defensive coordinator last season – didn't make it uh, through even, you know, more than the six games. Purdue almost immediately made that change. As it turns out, the entire defensive staff, I think one of the other coaches was let go and then two others left. And so the entire defensive staff was replaced in the offseason, led by Brad Lambert, who was a finalist to take over the head coaching job at Marshall, ended up not getting the job. Purdue hired him as his defensive coordinator. And then named three guys, actually, co-defensive coordinators. Purdue has three co-defensive coordinators, tri-co-coordinators, uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but uh, uh, So Mark Hagan, who uh, well-traveled, uh, I should say successful and traveled uh, defensive line coach. This is his actually second stint with Purdue. I mean, he's, he's a great assistant coach and really has helped that defensive line. And George Karloftis in particular – uh, Ron English, who's had head coaching experience and, of course, been a defensive coordinator of major programs. Um, and then James Adam is a younger guy who's uh, coaching the, in the secondary. But um, completely new defensive staff. And, I mean, the, the change is remarkable. I mean, it, you know, they they were running a, a Bob Diaco silly 3-4 defense last year that made no sense given his personnel. Its best player, George Karloff, just was neutralized playing a – a, a, a three down lineman in, which, you know, again, it's just not the position he should be playing. So they've been much better this year. Um, but a lot of it re- revolves around number five being on the field. I mean, you look at, you look at Carl numbers and they do not tell the whole story. It's why if you would, del- if you were to look at his stats and be like, wait, he has five sacks this year yet. Everyone's saying he's going to be a top 10 draft pick. That doesn't, you know, those things don't add up. It seems like he should have more sacks than that. He just is so impactful. I mean, there's been a dozen at least, 20 maybe, other plays where he is getting pressure, 
causing the quarterback to make a mistake, throw an interception, you know, just a negative play, whatever, um, that has so influenced Purdue and Purdue's defense that, uh, you know, you can't just look at the numbers alone. And Purdue, for the most part, has been pretty good defensively. Just the the one game uh, was bad against Ohio State. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Yep. So, Kyle, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with maybe Tennessee the last couple of years. We went through a major coaching search after <laughs> Butch Jones. Do you remember? Oh, I, uh, I'm actually uh, somewhat familiar with Butch. I don't know if you know this, but uh, so back when I worked for Golden Black, uh, he was a candidate at Purdue um, when Purdue hired Daryl Hazel. And I actually, you know, that was back when um, – or when it hired uh, Danny Hope, rather. So even before that. So uh, that was back in the early days where everybody followed the uh, airplanes on flight aware. We still uh, do that. <laughs> yeah. And everybody still does, but this was, this was way back. I like in the early first couple of years when people were just figuring out you could do that. But uh, yeah, I hid in the, uh, in the bushes there at the Purdue airport and watched which Jones get off the. Uh, get was off this the- when he was at Cincinnati, like before us? Yes. Uh, and then he took, he ended up taking the, was a Colorado job. Is that right? To come to, before he came to us, yeah, yeah, yeah. Colorado, Colorado State or Colorado, Colorado, yeah, um, yeah. He but, was really just leveraging uh, Purdue, I think, at that time for for a bet what he felt like was a better job. Um, but it was just sort of funny. We were you, me and a couple other media people. You could probably uh, and actually call, my brother of all people was was with me, uh, and uh, we were just sort of hiding uh, in the bushes near the airport and watched him and. Purdue's athletic director and everybody else top off the plane. But anyway, you could ended call, up in Tennessee. You could call Tennessee fans moms bad words, any name in the book, and they would still like you more than Butch Jones, I think, to this <laughs> point. But I'm going to talk about the 2017 coaching search was after Butch. Yeah. The, uh, Greg Schiano whole ordeal. That, right. For some reason, he was like our number one candidate. So we have a writer here in Knoxville. Been here forever, Jimmy Himes. I don't know if you're familiar with him. At one point, he was the only one that said that Jeff Brom was a done deal to UT. Now, a lot of UT fans can't stand Jimmy Himes. I, <laughs> I don't, I don't have opinion on him. He's okay. He's the type that he will get two, three, four, five sources before he um, will chime out his news, and that's good. That's fine. He's always late to everything, though. But now this was – he said it was a done deal. From your standpoint, and I don't know if you were here with Purdue at the time. Yeah, it was, yeah. Was there any – was it close, or do you know of anything like that? No, I, I – that – so in 2000 – that would be 2017? It was, bef- it was after the 2017 season. After the 2017 season. So that Brom. would be when – that would be – Jeff Brom would have been still at Western Kentucky then. Uh, I got, yeah. I got, I got Brom yeah. stuff right here. It looks like his first year at Purdue was 2017. Okay, so 2017, look, 17, 18, 19. <laughs> Sorry, 20, yeah, you're right. Okay, uh, so after his first year, uh, I don't think, I, I don't think that there was that close. Um, you know, there was the Louisville thing then a year later uh, with Brom that that one, you know, from our perspective was closer. Um, because there are the obvious ties between, you know, Brahm and his hometown, clearly. Um, but I don't recall from our perspective feeling like Tennessee was 
was a thing that could happen. Um, I'm sitting here looking at his record, um, and I don't know how much interaction you have with the fan base. How do they feel about Brom? I know it's not the most sexy thing ever. Um, this is actually his best year probably. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the Purdue's fan base thinking about him? Well, I, I think that he definitely won people back over with this season. I think there were some people that were on the fence after the last two years because he came in so hot. Now, most people – I hope recognize that Purdue was horrible. I mean, it it won nine games under Daryl Hazel in four years, nine. And like three of those were against Indiana state, you know, I mean, (laughs) you weren't, and and two of them were against Illinois. Who's not good. So uh, at least wasn't then and is, you know, marginal now, but Jeff Brom did not inherit a, a Rose Bowl team when he came to Purdue, yet, you know, he was able to, to get a couple of uh, bowl seasons in a row. Now, the last two years did not go well. And I think had this year, I I don't think he was on the, the hot seat per se, uh, but if, if he would have only won five games this year, I think that there certainly would have been a lot of pressure from the fan base. And then also, you know, uh, some internal pressure, I think, for him to, to start winning again. And luckily for him, luckily for Purdue, that never really came to pass because Purdue, you know, was able to get eight wins this year. Um, what's, what's ever, I know Lowe kind of touched on this question a little bit. What's, what are they saying about Tennessee up there, fan base-wise or media? Is there something that they're kind of scared of the offense? What are, what are they saying about us? Well, I, I think it's just playing the playing the SEC. You know, the last time Purdue played, Purdue played in the you know, it's sort of the, the running joke I think with Purdue fans is that uh, they just sort of ignore that the Music City Bowl a few years ago happened that Purdue got beat like sixty three to twenty or whatever that final score of that game was by Auburn. Uh, you know, people this week have joked, uh, Music City Bowl, is that in Nashville? We've never been to Nashville. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I think that uh, that's as much the conversation is, as anything, is that Purdue didn't want to have to go to the Music City again and play an SEC team um, and sort of potentially have to relive, uh, you know, what happened a couple of years ago with Auburn. Now that, I mean, that Auburn team – just physically beat the crap out of Purdue. I mean, Purdue was just not where it needed to be. I, I think that Purdue is probably now better equipped physically to deal with some of that. Um, but man, a couple of years ago, it, it wasn't. And um, now we'll see if, you know, if David Bell's not playing and George Carlock just isn't playing. That certainly hurts Purdue. You take away of the best players. I mean, that was the nice thing for Purdue this year is that every week, aside from Ohio State, it had arguably the two best players on the field. And, you know, one of them played defense, one played offense. And so, you know, that gave the team a lot of confidence that, hey, look, we got we got two guys that can, you know, go with anybody. Um, so if they're not playing this month, then, then maybe not. But uh, I think that's been the general, not not specific to Tennessee, but just sort of specific to the game and what happened a few years ago. Uh, you cool? You cool with going around the horn one more time? Sure. Okay. Low. That actually kind of led right into a couple of my questions. Um, I know you were kind of reflecting on the last time they went to the Music City Bowl, but 
do you uh, are you and I guess some of the fans that you interact with, buddies, etc. Are you guys disappointed with this matchup um, in terms of having to play Tennessee? Or did you want to play what you would consider a more elite team or someone from a different conference? Where were you guys kind of hoping to land? I, I think there's some disappointment that it's that it's. I, mean, I don't mean to repeat myself, but I think there's disappointment that it's back in, in Nashville again. Um, I think some people hoped for, you know, to go to Vegas maybe or – you know, the outside chance they could go to the Outback Bowl. Purdue fans have fond memories of the Outback Bowl, even though Purdue lost, ultimately lost the game. Uh, Purdue played in 2000 uh, in the Outback Bowl, led Georgia big at the half in that game. Uh, Joe Tiller did something you're not supposed to do. He chased points. Purdue's field goal kicker, uh, who's an All-American, missed an extra point early. Purdue later went for two, didn't get it. And they did all this early in the first half and got up big. I don't know what the halftime score was like. It was like 24 to 7 or something. And then ultimately lost the game. Um, and so despite that, I think Purdue fans have fond memories of, of that. It was a good time. It was obviously the, the change to the millennium and, and all of that. I was down there. I had a good time. Um, so I, I think there was some hope that maybe it would be elsewhere. I, um, I, I think people are disappointed that Penn State sort of jumped everybody a little bit, even though Penn State's only seven and five. Yeah. I mean, Penn State's seven and five, it lost to Illinois at home, and its coach got a, like a $100 million contract. How does that happen? It's, it's just it's like it's I, – I don't know. I, but, you know, Penn State jumped a few teams to, to, to get into that spot, which I think was sort of upsetting. Um and then I think – I don't think there's any, you know – I haven't heard at least, you know, people don't want to play Tennessee. I don't I don't know why that would be uh, necessarily. I, I think maybe just wanted to sort of avoid the whole Nashville thing because it didn't go very well a few years ago. Absolutely. That makes sense. And, I mean, I don't – I haven't followed much of Penn State, but, I mean, you guys beat number two and number three and have a better record than them. So that is – I would be kind of disappointed. Um yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, throughout the year, Penn State was routinely ranked in the top 25. And I kept every time somebody posted on Twitter, I was like, Purdue's resume is better than Penn State's. And it's not even close. And, you know, it's just the it's just Penn State, Penn State being Penn State um, and sort of the, you know, what that school has has been. And then, you know, James Franklin does a good job of getting attention, I think, sometimes, uh, <laughs> deserved or not. Um and so, yeah, I mean, fans travel well. They'll go down to Tampa and, and play that game. Yeah, and I guess my last question, um, which it sounds like you're pretty busy, like in your home life and stuff, <laughs> but are you attending the bowl game in Nashville or not going to make the trip? I'm, I'm unlikely to. I actually host a pregame show, and I suppose I could call into the pregame show, but I think we're hosting it in the studio, I assume. So – uh, I will be back here hosting a, a pregame show and then and then just watching on TV. Okay, well that's yes, the home. The, the 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 children here at home also do influence that that decision <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Over the years, I've been to a bunch of them uh, from the Rose Bowl to uh, the Outback Bowl, Capital One Bowl. You know, back when Purdue was going quite often there with uh, with Joe Tiller as the coach. Um, you know, sort of did it as a job, but as a fan a couple of times there as well. So Absolutely. Usually, good, usually good times. 
Well, I think that is my last couple of questions. And I just wanted to say thank you again for coming on. It's been a blast and I've learned a lot about Purdue. So I'm going to let Bandit or Cody uh, finish up with his questions. Thanks again. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go. Uh, I'll go one more. Um, you mentioned how this season um, had kind of won the fan base back over for Jeff Brom. If the the final score December thirtieth is sixty three to twenty again, is that all forgotten, or <laughs> does he still have some time left? Oh, he has time left. I I that would sting. I think um, to say the least, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that if that happened, there would be – at least you could point to some excuses, and that would – I'm sort of expecting that Bell and Karloff just won't play. Um, I, I don't think that that will happen again. I think Purdue is better equipped physically, again, to, to be able to match up. Uh, I think both programs maybe are in similar spots in, in that regard right now, um, uh, sort of both building toward what they hope is is something bigger. Um you know, for Purdue, I think Purdue down the road can can compete and and you know maybe win the Big Ten West. Uh, can it then do that and springboard itself into a, a, a four team college football playoff? I think that's probably a little bit of a stretch, though. Michigan State has done it before uh, out of the East, um, but you know I, I hope that Purdue is building toward at least you know a, a Big Ten West championship, give itself a a chance then in the in the Big Ten, you know title game and, and see what happens after that. But, you know, the point is, I, I think that, uh, yeah, fans would be certainly disappointed if that was the outcome, but I don't think it would change much uh, of what Jeff Brom is doing at Purdue. All right. That's all I got. Thanks for coming on again, man. Yeah. So I got um, two questions. One, I'm going to put you on the spot here. This is like a little <laughs> fun thing. Give us a couple of fam- famous Purdue alumni. Off the top of your head, Neil Armstrong. I was going to say, yeah, him. (laughs) Uh, Drew Brees, obviously. Um, I don't know, man. Yeah, you're you're putting me uh, on the spot. John Wooden. I'll give you a hint. Popcorn. Yeah, over over Redenbacher. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm looking. That's the one you were looking for. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at this list, and I can name. I can only name those two. The rest of them, I don't really know any of those guys. Yeah. Uh, Raheem Mos- Mosert, he's the running back for, yeah, I guess, the, running back for the 49ers, right? Really good guy. Yeah, Raheem Mostert. Yeah, he, yeah. he was uh, one of those guys that sort of got lost in the shuffle with Daryl Hazel. I mean, he was played a little bit of receiver, uh, played a little bit of running back, was a kick return guy, really talented. I mean, can run really fast and just never really – I mean, just never really found a, a, a positional home at Purdue, and then he goes to the NFL, and he's been hurt a couple of times. But man, when he plays, he's pretty he's pretty good. I would imagine that uh, Purdue fans treat Drew Brees like we treat Peyton. Yeah. But what's what's their opinion on like Kyle Orton? Do, do they do they like? Well, him? I don't know how familiar you, it, I, people like Kyle Orton. Kyle is a little bit of a different guy. He's, he's quiet. Um, you know, he doesn't seek out the limelight. He's not on Twitter that I know of. Um, he's just living, living life, yeah. um, you know, after retirement and, you know, doesn't come around that often, but you know, he, he likes Purdue. I think he enjoyed his time at Purdue. Uh, he just, that, that sort of quiet, uh, guy who would sort of like to, to live without some of the fame, I think. And he's always been that way. Um, 
but you know he he also fumbled against Wisconsin in, in 2000, 2004 that people you know sort of point to as a turning point for the program. I mean, I you know game day was at Purdue. Purdue was what ranked fifth or whatever it was. He was the Heisman leader. Game day was going to come back to Purdue the next week uh, for the Michigan game, uh, and uh, on a on a naked bootleg he. Got turned upside down. Purdue was up what seventeen to seven late in the game. Uh, fumbled the ball. Wisconsin raised it back for a touchdown. Scored again. Purdue lost the game, and that whole season sort of crumbled. Orton got hurt. Um, but man, if there's a if there's a moment in time that that produced fortunes as a football program, changed directions. It's it's that moment, and I think the hope for a lot of people is that you know here. 18, 17, 18 years later, Purdue's finally coming out of it a little bit. It's been a long climb back. Purdue was hoping it was going to beat Wisconsin this year, and that would sort of be the the thing that got him over the hump. And then Wisconsin came into Ross Hayden and smoked him again. You you almost described Casey Clawson to a T. Kind of just doesn't come (laughs) around the program. I think he came to a game earlier this year. Very up and down. Um, He had a couple great, great big wins in his career. Has some mistakes, but um, I mean, the fan base loves him. But you know, he like I said, he's kind of keeps to himself. Uh, yeah. Before you leave, give us a score prediction for. I'm going to put oh, you on the spot man. again. Score so prediction for the game. Early, so yeah. early, and uh, uh, do I re- can I reserve the right to change my mind at some point? Mm, I mean, well, you have like three weeks of the game. Let's, uh, let's say all your guys play too. Like all your guys don't declare. Uh, they all play. Um, say that again. Let's like your like your what's his name? Uh, David Ball uh, Bale. Let's yeah. let's say in your in your prediction, let's say he plays. He plays. Yeah. I don't think there's any chance that George Karloftis plays. I think there's probably like a five percent chance that David Bell plays. Karloftis, I, I I don't know why you would play if you're a top ten draft pick. I mean that the risk is is too great. Bell will probably be a second round pick, I would guess. He does he does a lot of things really well. I mean, the guy is unbelievable. He his routes must be perfect. He's got great hands, eye hand coordination. He just isn't going to go out there and run a four four forty. He's just, you know, he's not going to run a four three. He's not DJ Metcalf. Um, he's not just not going to run fast enough to be a, a you know a first round pick. But he'll be a second round pick and be really really good for a long time. Uh, so we'll assume he plays, and we'll assume Karloftis does not. Um, which I think they probably both won't. But I think that I think it's high scoring. Um, I, I think that Purdue ekes it out uh, 35-32, but I can see it going either way. I I, uh, I think both teams will probably get into the 30s, but it might just come down to turnovers. If Aiden O'Connell plays like he has and doesn't turn the ball over, um, you know, Purdue's got some other weapons too offensively besides just David Bell. I mean, Milton Wright's a pretty good receiver. They have some other receivers who were nicked up who won't play. But they'll probably put Brock Thompson in as a as the other starter. But uh, if Bell doesn't play, I, I like Purdue by a couple points. Okay, sounds good. You're you're wrong, but that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I, you're kidding. probably right. I was, if you looked at my record this year, I mean that's the thing about Purdue is like, you know, it, it beat Iowa, and Michigan State. Nobody's going to predict that it's going to beat Iowa, and Michigan State. At, at the time that Purdue went and played Nebraska, you still felt like at some point Nebraska's going to win a game. Yeah. Like they can't yeah. can't lose every game by five points. And I was going to say they lost a bunch of games by one or two possessions. And, yeah, 
you know, it it's is what it just, is. Yeah, my my record of predicting games this year is is bad. So uh, take that with you on my my prediction for the ball sounds game. good. I appreciate you coming on and spending about you know forty five minutes with us. I learned a lot more about Purdue than uh, I don't usually watch Big Ten football. No offense to y'all, but it's pretty damn boring to us. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thanks for coming on, man. All right, appreciate it. Have a good evening. Appreciate it. That was Kyle Charters, Saturday Tradition. Go check out some of his stuff. Follow him maybe just for a couple weeks uh, for the Music City Bowl. Um, any thoughts on on him and Purdue scouting report there, Low or Bandit? Um, I, I mean, he seems like a super cool guy. Um, learned a lot for sure. I just I barely looked up much at all just because I wanted to see what all he had to say. But nice guy and. You're right. I think he is wrong with his score, but that's all right. Bandit, anything? Uh, Kyle seems like a great guy. Uh, he came. Uh, he came with uh, big props from Tom Dean Hart up there in uh, Purdue land. Also, uh, uh, heard from Trey Wallace said said uh, Kyle's a stand-up guy. Don't don't see anything tonight that would differ with that. Glad Kyle came on. I think Kyle sounds like a typical like media guy. Like he can just the way he talks, the way he's like the sound of his voice and everything. He's just a typical media dude. He's he's full of information. Very good radio voice. Yeah. All right. I know y'all don't want to do this, but got a great beard too. Thanks. Uh, I know y'all. Oh, my bad. I know y'all don't want to do this, but basketball review. Are we, first of all, are we going to go Colorado, Texas Tech, or are we just going to do it all together and get you through it? it in one round, like both of them kind of? Yeah, I'm okay. good with that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> all right. So starting off with Colorado, um, I thought it's the first half was kind of a slow start, which seems to be a common occurrence for this team so far. Um, however, they kind of turned it on, went up at the half by 10 points or went into the half up 10. Um, I felt like Colorado was a pretty solid team and it was a road matchup. Obviously, Kennedy Chandler kicked ass 27 points in 36 minutes. Um, and I also thought Folky had a pretty good game. Um, he only had 10 points and six rebounds, but he put in 31 minutes, which is more than his usual um, in games. The other thing that I thought was interesting was three of our starters, Viscovi, Chandler, and Folky, combined for 50 of our 69 total points. Um, kind of scary when you think about it because our other starters, the other two starters, Kamwa and Bailey, Kamwa only had three points and Bailey had zero. So I thought, you know, it's kind of scary to have to depend on just three guys to come out and score a majority of your points. But luckily we had some guys that came in off the bench and were able to contribute. I, I typed up my notes before uh, last night on this one, and I thought that shooting 25% from the three was bad against the, in Colorado. And then last night happened, and I was just like, oh, my God. Um, Texas Tech, I personally did not like this matchup from the beginning. All of their starters are between 6'6 six, six and 6'9, six, all five of them. 
And we only have one starter at 6'9", anywhere close in that, and that's Folky. So I immediately thought it was a disadvantage for us. Um, forced us to play quicker, and usually when we do that, we have a lot of turnovers and try to get too crafty with the ball. My biggest positive is, of course, Ziegler. He is so much fun to watch. Even He was the bright spot in last night's just absolutely abysmal game. Um, his shot before the half was so awesome. I absolutely love that. That guy just plays with so much confidence. Being only 5'9", and he's out here with guys that are like a foot or more taller than him, he just doesn't seem to be bothered at all. He's my absolute number one shining star from last night. Um, I just, otherwise, I just don't know what to say. I think I went on enough rants via Twitter last night. I don't want to just continue on, but that was probably the worst. That was the worst basketball game I have ever watched to this day for me. Um, can they bounce back? Yes, it, we're in December, but I hope to God that they have watched that over and over and over and over and never, ever, ever play like that again. I'm going to keep it PG and go on to Bandit. Well, like you said, Leland, uh, I don't want to talk about this. Nobody wants to talk about this. Um, here's my December overreaction. Um, I think the Villanova game and the Texas Tech game last night are the worst coach games of the Rick Barnes era. Um, now, of course, you can go back and, and find some game that we lost five years ago that I don't remember um, off the top of my head. I've, I'm sure you could go back and find one, but it's going to be, like I said, four or five years ago when we're sitting with a team full of three stars. Um, this this is a five-star team. This is a, this is a top five national talent star rating team. Um Want to hit on Olivier Cumwad? Um, is he was he hurt last night, or what's the deal with this? All right, so this Olivier Cumwad guy. I had people at the beginning of the year that all last year said they can't stand this kid. The beginning of this year, they said, "Whoa, this kid's really come a long way. He, he's he's playing good." So Olivier Cumwad. And I forgot to write the names of the teams down that we played. But, um, uh, yeah, UT Martin, ETSU, and I think the other one was Tennessee Tech. Olivier Kamwa played 28 minutes, 24 minutes, 29 minutes against those teams, respectively, and put up 11, 23, and 18 points. Um, and now our last three games, he's played 18 minutes, 13 minutes, 13 minutes and put up two, three, and two points. So what happened? Is is it the same old, same old cumwad and he's not progressed at all and he just looked like he had against these lesser teams and we just wasted those minutes. Like those, those would be valuable minutes against lesser opponents to get these new guys time on the floor. And, you know, it just looks like same old, same old with, with Olivier and we've wasted valuable um, floor minutes for our other guys. 
Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this segment with the question: uh, Are one and dones the best route? Um, just like Lowe said, I think uh, I think Zakai Ziegler is the bright spot on this team. Um, if he was on last year's team, I would probably say that too. Um, and you look at his recruitment. There's not a blue blood blue blood program out there that would have been upset if you would have stole Zakai Ziegler from him at any point this recruiting um, season. And here he is, the bright spot on the team. So, you know, give me give me a couple of Zakai Ziegler's. These these five stars ain't cutting it for me. All right. So, a <clears throat> couple things. So, ever since. Ever since, like, after Pearl, I've kind of had this little thing in my head, out-of-conference Power 5 road games. So going into Colorado, I was expecting to lose because in years past, we, I don't think – I think we went between, like, between, like, Conzo and the first couple years of Barnes. Now, this is just top of my head thinking. We lost every early on – Power five road game. And I was expecting, like I said, Colorado to so when the game started out the way it did, we started at what? Eight to nothing down. I, you know, I figured that'd be a loss. Uh road game, have to travel across the country and all that. Um we came back, we ended up beating them by, you know, fifteen or so. Uh Chandler was that was kind of like his mini coming out party, I think. Twenty seven points. He he balled out for us. Nobody else well, they had a 10 and 13, but no one else had 20. And um, that was a good game, good win. Okay, so about last night. So, listen, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I'm more frustrated when a team, like, just constantly is shooting and making threes on us. Take the Oregon State game last year in the tournament. Constant raining. I think Jody Meeks one time had a game uh, where he scored like 50 on us in Thompson Bowling when um, he played at Kentucky. There's nothing you can do about it. Now, you can say last night was ugly, one of the worst games you've ever seen, the worst game you've ever seen. But, like, Texas Tech was just as bad as we were. They just had a couple breaks go their way. Like, we had a guy fall on a dunk. Like, when does that happen? So, the more frustrating game to me is games when we just can't stop the other, other team. Constant shooting. And they're hitting everything under the sun. Uh, there was a Georgetown game, I think, under Conzo that we played that was pretty damn ugly. Um, the, I think it was like 40-something to 38 or something. It was disgusting. Um, I read a stat last night that even though it went into overtime, the over still didn't hit, and it had some change to go. That's how sad that was. Like, that's that's god-awful. Um I'm kind of sick of the every loss we have. It's fire Barnes. I'm 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 going to call out the fan base here. I, I don't care how much he's making. I know people say he shouldn't be making. You know we're not getting our results for five six million. Let let me lay down this for you, okay? Tennessee basketball is a second rate sport in the university, and if the if the way the Vitello is going with baseball, it could be a third rate sport, okay? So you're going to have to overpay for somebody to come here. Everybody wants to fire him when he loses, and everybody points to his tournament success. 
Okay. The NCAA tournament is a wild animal. You don't know what you're going to get each time you step on the court during the tournament. Okay. Now, I know good coaches, great coaches, the Mike K's of the world, the Roy Williams of the world, the Bill Selfs of the world. They have a better record than Rick Barnes, which separates those that tier, Rick Barnes tier, and those tier guys, okay? And I, I get all that. And, yes, coaching matters because we just saw the football team with a coach that mattered. But, but his coaching mattered, okay? But I'm so sick and tired of every loss wanting to point to how much Barnes makes. You're not signing the checks. The, check, the money isn't coming out of your account. Why the hell do we care how much he's making? I don't, okay? My thing on Barnes is he, he's going to keep this program afloat, and that's what we want, right? Like, it just tides us over to football season, okay? Everybody's like, well, don't you want more than that? Yeah, I do. But, you know, it is what it is. Let's roll the dice. Let's keep him. You know, he'll get us in the tournament. It took a special weird hiring in Bruce Pearl to take Tennessee basketball to heights that we've never seen before. And that was a lightning in a bottle thing. And he's not coming back. And I just, I just wish people would get off Barnes a little bit. Now the, the, the first couple of years people were bitching about him not being able to recruit, but we, he developed a guy. He doesn't, I don't hear one person ever saying that he gets credit for, for developing um, Admiral. He recruited Grant Williams. Uh, Grant's playing in the NBA right now. He was a three-star. And then the the big knock on Barnes, all I heard was that he was a lazy recruiter. So now we're getting the talent in, and people are mad that the one or duns aren't developing fast enough. Well, they're 18, 19-year-old kids, okay? Even Kentucky's having trouble. If you look, and I bet if you break it down, that's why Wisconsin's so good year in, year out. They have these big white juniors and seniors that are there for four years. So I'm just, I would just would people would just enjoy what we have. And, and I just remember how abysmal Conzo was like those games. And, 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 and from, from the time Pearl left us till Barnes got here, it was God awful. Like no one ever went to the games. Like we're the 13th team in the country and we were playing on ESPN last night. It was say what you want about the game. It's whatever. But I- to say a couple things like just two thoughts that came into my head yes i bitched and complained just as much as everyone else however there's a couple things that popped into my head one i would assume that they like every team and every game they came into this game with a game plan knowing that it would be difficult for their guys with this huge size mismatch to drive it into the paint So they were probably going to stick to shooting threes. However, I was disgusted to never see any of those fall in. But is Rick Barnes the one out there on the court shooting the threes? No. And it was not one player or two. It was every damn one of them. No one could hit it. I mean, that is a different thing. But you can't just go in and be like, all right, well, we are at a seven-inch height advantage and change your whole entire game plan when you're only down by two or three points, right? I, they, he probably thought, shoot them, they'll fall. I get that. It was hideous to watch, and I still don't, like, I don't, like, necessarily agree with it, but I feel like their hands were tied, and they were still in it, even though they played that bad. So 
I don't know. Yeah, like how many times did I see him go down the court and they they didn't even let the work they didn't even work the shot clock. I guarantee Pearl or Pearl. I guarantee Barnes never said shoot the first shot. Like um, when your big guy is Folky, look, look, Folky, we love him, fan favorite, but. I don't think he's a guy if you want to win a title. That's he's not some guy you can post up on some big big dude, and he's gonna take. He, now he's fine. He's he's good for being the small, the the small guy. But um, yeah, I don't know. I would like to know what Pearl. Well, dang it, I did it again. I would like to know what Barnes' game plan was last night when we weren't shooting, uh, when we weren't knocking them down. Um, another thing, people were like. Stop shooting. Like, you're not going to get out of a drought if you don't keep shooting. Now, I'm not saying go down there and shoot a jack up a three every single time. Right. You know, shoot, shoot it inside. Shoot, shoot jumpers around the free throw line or or set picks and get it down off better the baseline. Or, better percentage shots. I yeah. mean, I mean, they were open. They did not have to just run down there and take every three. Like you were saying, it was like – Stop doing that. I really don't think that's what Barnes was calling. Okay, dribble it down, pop it off at the three, miss it, turn around, no rebounds on offense. I don't think that that was his game plan. So, um, uh, Another thing that drives me insane is missed free throws. Yeah. And, 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 and like I said a minute ago, Texas Tech in both categories of free throws and three-point shooting was just as bad as we are. It was just a weird game. I think we should all just take it, crumble it, throw it away. I don't think that's a represent, representation of what this Tennessee team can do and will be going forward. Now, if this continues to happen, we're in deep trouble when it hits SEC play. Yeah. Um, Alabama's just, coming up in a few days or literally a couple weeks. Yeah. So. so let's see if Chandler can keep, continue to grow. I love Zeger coming off the bench. He's many, many AI. Um, but – Let's let's just breathe. Like if I this think, was in if this was in March, yes. Man, it, I think I think the best thing that can happen for this team over the next uh, three or four games before Alabama is um, Brandon Hunley Hatfield's game matures by multiple years over the next couple of weeks because we got to find some post play. Yeah, you got to have a big guy, and that's I hope that's not going to be the downfall. But all right, anything on basketball? You want to do some fan questions? Yeah, we'll um, dive into these. So these were submitted like two weeks ago, but I took a break last week. So we're just – they all pretty much applied. So we're just going to run through them pretty quickly. Um, the first two were about the transfer portal. So I'm going to read them both, and then we can just kind of combine them into one question since they were super similar. Um, first one, at stoked underscore ball asked us, who are your transfers that you would like to see us offer? And then at Jeff Stokes four asked us any key linebackers or DBs in the transfer portal. We should keep an eye on coming to the balls. So basically just transfers that you would like to see us offer and specifically linebackers or defensive backs. Bandit, you can go ahead. Okay. So, at first, um, when I first read this question, I hated it. Um, you know, look at the transfer portal or 
who who do I want us to offer? You know, want us want us to offer whoever's the best. Um, but the more I dug into it, the more I like the question. Um, these these may be a little off topic, but just guys that that are in the transfer portal, I'd like to see us bring in. Um, Zach Evans, the running back at TCU. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not down in the kid, but it's it's reported he's a head case that was um, you know, talked about even during his recruitment process, uh signing with Georgia, then requesting out of it, and then um that recruitment got a little little crazy. Um we are actually hosting him on a visit soon. And then another kid, kind of the same issue um, in his recruitment, um, another kid that looked like he could come here at the time, Terrence Lewis, linebacker at Maryland, was a five-star linebacker out of Florida. Um, I think he actually committed here at one point uh, to prove it. Um, then ended up going to Maryland. And now I, when I when I dug into the, to the portal question, um, Saw him pop up. Looks like there's three or four linebackers at Maryland in the portal. Not sure what's up with that. So, um, as far as being worried about um, bringing in something to the locker room, we don't want to. Um, like I said, I, I know this kid had uh, a, a tumultuous um, recruitment process. But if there's multiple guys leaving uh, Maryland from that same position group, it, it could be uh, uh, something else. And then another guy um, that I don't I don't know if there was any connection with us during his recruitment process prior, but um, Elijah Blades, the cornerback down at Florida, was uh, a big name coming out of high school, and he has entered the transfer portal down there. Um, that's That would be a, a huge pickup with us. Um, seeing Alante go to the draft. And then the, um, another side of this question I want to hit, because there was a lot of discussion today. There was a, a tweet went out, um, don't even know the profile, don't even know um, where he got this, but he listed three or four players that would be, uh, he said, was would be leaving the program in the next couple weeks. Um, um, just talk from some of the people I've talked to, um, I, I think, uh, Callaway and Jawan Mitchell and Morvin Joseph are leaving. Um, Morvin Joseph's already in the uh, transfer portal. I, I could see Jawan Mitchell and, and Callaway, the uh, wide receiver, transferring out soon. But um, from from what I've heard and who I've talked to, Jalen Hyatt and, and Tyler Barron are staying. I don't know where this guy's getting that. Um, Jalen Hyatt's dad even tweeted out a thing today that they're not going anywhere. Um, and Tyler Barron's dad is lives in Knoxville. Uh, that would really surprise me if he left. Just wanted to hit on that, and that's that's all I got for this question. Milo, are you? Uh, you can go ahead. I'll just answer like after both of y'all. Uh, so two four seven has this pretty cool little feature where you can go on there and um, you can see all the the transfers and you could basically do year school committed, uncommitted committed, uh, eligibility position. You can do the latest ones that have announced 
um, or the top ones. So I just focused mainly on five-star and four-star. Um, so, okay, corner, there's a couple corners I would like to see that are highly ranked. There's an Eli Ricks from LSU. I don't know if we'll be in play for any of these guys. I would love to be. And it also gives, like, their school that they're transferring uh, from, and it will give a prediction. So um, I'll, I'll run through these real quick. So Eli Ricks, he's from LSU. There's not a prediction on him yet. Five-star, would love to get him. So this J- Jamar Gibbs, running back from Georgia Tech, I know when he first announced his, uh, his uh, transfer that um, there was some Georgia Tech – I don't know if it was like fan pages or some type of insider or something for Georgia Tech. They said that uh, Tennessee was on the radar. They're actually predicting him to uh, – 247 is actually predicting him to go to Bama, and it says it's 100%. So I don't know – Bandit, you got so, something? Yeah, what I heard on that, um, I have heard that he's apparently a lot to Alabama now. But um, apparently the scoop on that is he wanted to come here originally. Tennessee was his dream school. He come up here um, to camp with Jeremy Pruitt and the staff at the time, and they refused to play him at running back. Um, Jeremy Pruitt wanted to play him at safety, and even though that staff is gone now, he's still holding that against Tennessee, and that's why he won't come. Uh, death taxes and Pruitt not playing guys at the right position. That seems to be a trend. Uh, so you mentioned the Zach Evans. He's a four-star from TCU. Um, I haven't heard anything about him. I don't know anything about like the head case thing or anything like you mentioned. Uh, there was a debate we had on the pod a couple weeks ago about Spencer Rattler. It looks like it's 100%. To, they have a him down to UCLA, so with him and Chip Kelly. Um, I kind of wish we had a little thing with Dylan Gabriel. That was Hopple's uh, uh, former QB down to UCF. It says that he's 100% to Ole Miss. Not anymore. Really? Where? Jeff, Jeff Lebby. The offensive coordinator at Ole Miss is following Brent Venables. You think he'll Oklahoma. go to Oklahoma? I definitely believe Dylan Gabriel to Oklahoma. Well, here, here's something. Why would why would Gabriel, what a fifth year senior, go to Oklahoma when a freshman is the star or the future there? Like that isn't kind of. I was going to touch on that too. That was since you guys brought it up. Um, you know, he played with Heupel, and then he he was injured. So he's probably not going to go win the starting position somewhere like that. And especially with his year, it would make sense for him to come to UT where Heifel already knows his talent abilities and he could potentially get playing time immediately versus going there. So I'm just speculating. but I think if, if Hooker announced he was going to the draft, that would be a bigger possibility. He's still got to get people behind him, though. Think about yeah. it. Yeah, build depth. Yeah. Uh, He's a lefty too. Shout out lefties. Uh, so um, yeah, the, the, going forward, the whole quarterback position is going to be interesting to watch. Uh, a couple other guys. I got there's a Marcus Banks, four star cornerback from Alabama that's transferring. They don't have a prediction for him. Another guy to look out to maybe replace Alante Taylor. Uh, you mentioned the Maryland quarterbacks. I didn't realize there was more than one. Um, there, they just. I don't know. That sounds weird. Like three of your guys is, is leaving. Uh, this guy's Brandon, up there, dude. Brandon Jennings. He's a four-star from Maryland. Uh, we need depth at linebacker to go with uh, – we need starters, I guess, too, to go with uh, Jeremy Banks. That's basically all the guys to keep on that are highly ranked going forward. Um, I'm sure 
I'm sure Hopple knows about these guys and is on the phones working some. I'm sure he's doing things behind the scene that we don't even know. But those are just some of the names, some of the some of the Ferraris that I like to have in our garage. But uh, we'll see going that, forward. That's the thing with the transfer portal, though. Like that page you've got pulled up, you can hit refresh on that thing every two hours, and it's just going to transfer portal go. What was that again? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah, the this guys. Is- the guys, the guys commenting with the transfer portal, man, uh, or the fans, the fans of the page with the transfer portal questions. Go, go to that twenty four seven page. If you don't have a, if you don't have a paid subscription, hit me up. I'll give you my login because that fucking transfer portal page, dude, it's just all day long, and you can sit there and pop dream your day away on on transfer portal. Yeah, there's a um, this this thing is pretty cool. I mean. There's a there's a three star from Vandy. I don't know if you know you think of Vandy, you think of shitty, but I mean is if that, it's a, uh, is that Darren Agu? Uh, I don't have his name written down. I just happened to see I, it. If that's Darren Agu, there's a good chance we land that dude. Okay, that'd be cool if he was from the state to kind of help a, us. He's a six foot six um, wide receiver. Dude's well, huge. Here's the thing um, that I would like to people to remember is that. We have really good coaches to develop players that are not necessarily top tier. We don't have to go after these people that are so highly sought after if we can develop these players and get them in, get them in the system that we want. So I just say get the depth and get the guys that fit the team the best. And yeah, yeah, we we need bodies, Ropa. I got a little, I got a little. I forgot to mention this guy. For one, we need bodies. Let's yeah. worry about talent once we. Add depth and all. I know talent's great. You need it for sure. Uh, Bandit, let me get your opinion on this guy. What about Max Johnson, uh, Brad Johnson's son, le- another lefty? Came. Uh, looks like he's leaving LSU. Uh, maybe as a backup plan. Like he showed some promise down there in Baton Rouge. Maybe they didn't have the offensive um, coaching that we might have. I mean, I would take Max Johnson. Offer the whole family. That dude's yeah. little brother is the number one tight end in Mississippi or some shit. Really? Didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. In like the next class. Cool. Offer the whole family. Cool. I'd take him. I'll take him. Any kind of depth. Take 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 him for quarterback depth just for the fact of sealing his little brother. Yep. Sounds good. I love it. Um, all right. Next question at Vols327 says, hey, low. Um, with Carvin coming back. Um, Carvin coming back is huge on the O line, but for the podcast, could you address the D line for next year? Who we have presently and who we are going after recruits versus transfer portal. I know that we have talked about the portal, but I guess just touch on the D line for next year. Go ahead, Bandit. I'm totally blind on this subject. I forgot to look it up. So, actually. um, interesting thing, um, about the D line, and this is going. I mean, this is stay on the D-line topic, but um, you guys remember um, Darrell uh, Middleton? Or yeah. Darrell Middleton. Um, he just announced, like, literally five minutes ago on um, Twitter that in January he's going to commit to wherever he's transferring to. Um, and the rumblings here lately is that there's a chance he might come back here um, even if he has to prefer walk-on. I know there was a uh, when he left West Virginia. There was a bunch of interaction 
on his page about retweeting Tennessee fans and all that stuff. Uh, he was trying to vouch to come back. I don't know. Of course, we don't know the situation. Um, yeah, and that, so that was just, you know, a few weeks back. And then um, as, as recently as a couple of days ago, he was actively recruiting for Tennessee, um, commenting on recruits posts and, and, you know, doing the thing. And then today he comes out and says, hey, next month I'm going to, I'm going to commit to where I'm transferring. So, um, do you have, like I said, I was an idiot and completely forgot to look this up, but do you, do you have some of the guys that's leaving off the D line? Is Bumpus gone? I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't, I didn't read. I thought I saw that he was gone, but I also from somebody else said he had a COVID year that he could use, but I don't know. I, from what I know, I could be wrong, but I thought um, he was maybe returning and then Young would be returning as well. Right? I haven't seen anything. I didn't, I didn't research this question. At all. Guys, I'm not gonna lie. What I can say is, like, when I looked at it, at least what I thought I looked at, a lot of them had some eligibility. You know, the reason why people didn't think they were going to be good is because they were younger and didn't have much experience. Uh, they were sophomores or juniors in COVID year and new coaching. Um, I, I couldn't imagine anybody on this D line um, if they had an extra eligibility not coming back for it. Um, there's no, there's no big names on this D line that just scream draft pick or or I'm doing this, I'm going here. Um, anybody that has eligibility left, I couldn't imagine them transferring out. You're not going to find a better D line coach than Rodney Garner. Um, I think it's more about, you know, who we bring it in. I'm not – at the end of the day, I'm not worried about bodies. We'll we'll figure we'll figure that out going forward. But um, Paul, if you're watching, eat a dick. Watch the good. <laughs> yeah, did you see his – did you see my share today? I showed it in group. Um, he's open to the possibility of maybe playing at UT. One of, our, one of our live viewers just commented and said, like, do we get – Walter, after his possibly comment yesterday, I don't know. Um, it'd be great, great addition, but we don't know. Time will tell. My thing is, why is he from Memphis? I guess I guess I should know with him being a pal guy. So if he's from Memphis and comes to Knoxville, okay, why in the world would you come to Knoxville if you weren't going to UT? Like I just, I don't, I don't get that. Like he could probably go. He could probably stayed in Memphis. And still been a Texas A&M guy, so why would you come up here? I've never understood that. But I would take him in a heartbeat. Um, he, I've watched him all year at Powell. Got, I watched him in the in the state championship game. He, um, they wore him out. Like he he actually threw up on the fifty yard line at one point of the game because I don't think he takes a snap off. Like he's he's dominant. He ta- he was the the right tackle. I, I would sit there and watch their matchups. They would they would play uh, three down linemen. And they would put Nolan at left end, and he would just straight bull rush this huge uh, right tackle. And I give the dude credit; he was massive. And at one point, the dude missed his balance and fell over, and Nolan went straight to the QB, chased the QB down. I mean, dude, dude's incredible. He's pretty good. I love it. Um, Anyone else on that question? Uh, Another another D line guy. I think we could. We're probably. A lot to get is that Jeffrey Mbaf. Have you seen him? Um, 
I think he's the number one defensive tackle in the nation coming out of junior college. So, man, if we get him and Walter side by side, look out. You're about to get butch slapped. God. <laughs> God. Retire. Uh, I'm feeling it tonight. Will you live anything else? No, not about that. Okay, we just got three more questions we're going to roll through. Um, at Gunner Vols, he asked us, how many thousands of yards does Jameer Gibbs have next year for Tennessee? 2,000, 3,000, more. Well, it looks like he's going to Bama, so I guess yeah, zero. He might, he might have that on us, but it looks like he <laughs> won't have that for us. Not if we get defensive guys that we just talked about. That's true. See, I don't understand. Like, Bandit, you mentioned he had a grudge against us with Pruitt and all that. Why? Like, as a previous coaching staff, you know, I think that's kind of whatever, man. Stuff. The stuff never makes sense, and it's honestly, it's probably just something he said at some point to somebody because they didn't want to say, or they were saying, "Oh, you're just going to Alabama because you want to win a championship. You're chasing a championship." You know, because like I said, when he was going through his recruitment out of high school, Tennessee was like one of his top schools. And now it's like you've got a chance to actually go there. I think at some point somebody said to him, oh, that's where you really wanted to go before. Now you're just going to Bama to chase championships. And, and he was like, oh, no, they, they wanted to play me at safety. Hoppel could come to him and be like, hey – you can be you can you can be in our offense where we score forty a game. You can be the feature back, and you can catch passes out of the backfield. Like that's and you and you get twenty twenty five carries a game. Well, in our offense, I don't know if we'll have a back like that, but he'll probably split time with small. But still, he'd be the feature back because I, I don't. Believe- I'll tell you this though. I'll tell you this. Justin Williams, um, uh, running back. I think we get before the end of this cycle. Who is um, this? Justin Williams. He was committed to West Virginia. He's a six foot two, two hundred and twenty pound back, big back, um, like the one we've already got on the roster, uh, D Beckwith, who for some reason hasn't been allowed to see the field, except for a couple of plays. Um, I'll say that if Justin Williams commits to Tennessee this uh, cycle, he'll finish with a thousand yard season before he leaves. Gotcha. Next question. Uh, next question at agree underscore vols underscore 82 asked us, why is Jimmy Himes the way that he is? I will hang up and listen. Let, let me get this. So, okay. So there's a lot of God awful blue checks out there, right? The Wokens of the world, woke Wokens of the world. Pat Forty's god awful. Rucker's god awful. What is what is Himes like? I don't have a problem with Himes. He's kind of a goober sometimes. You know, I actually like. I'm probably going to kill for this. I actually like his show with Wilkerson. I love Wilkerson. Um, now the only thing that rubbed me the wrong way with Himes was that he said the attendance at the Vandy game was fifty thousand. Um, I've been to that game. I've been to that stadium forever, and I know what an empty stadium looks like. That was not 50,000. That was what they said it was like 73,000. I know they're not always accurate with the numbers, but it was not 50,000. 50,000, you I would look at the beginning of the game, I looked around, me and DR were sitting there, and 
like there was it wasn't like shoulder to shoulder packed but you know there was no patches now if you look under the scoreboard that whole section over from the scoreboard has been empty all season long and i'm not 100 percent, but i maybe think that's a visitor section but those tickets are getting sold from us and the visitors but i've seen that stadium when it's when it's nobody shows up and that well, was not fifty thousand. covid was 20 percent. i mean that's you know yeah terrible. yeah but yeah. as far as jimmy himes go like he doesn't post his political left-wing bullshit like i'm woken has his god-awful takes with his um shiano thing and all that in the conzo love fest jimmy himes don't do that he's just a goober sometimes now but I mean, I don't have a problem with them. What about you, Bandit? Um, let me start this question by saying this. I'm a John Wilkerson stan. Love with John um, Wilkerson. Absolutely love John Wilkerson. I can't get the amount of John Wilkerson I want to get because he's on a show with Jimmy Himes. I can't fucking stand this guy. Um, John Wilkerson gets paid. John Wilkerson. Jimmy Himes gets paid to talk on the radio about sports. And you know, I, I don't have that long of a drive to work. I usually catch the very beginning of the show. You know, he's he's opening it up. He's talking about what they're going to talk about. I get home. I sit on the couch for an hour. And every fucking thing this dude said is on my Twitter feed. Jimmy Himes, I, I swear to God, this dude sits behind a microphone and reads everything that comes across his Twitter timeline. Because it'll be word for word in Twitter form on somebody else's profile. Everything he says. And... Fucking Jimmy Himes will say some shit, and John Wilkerson will speak up and be like, "Oh no, Jimmy, that's wrong." And he'll fucking he, John Wilkerson is sitting there fact checking the tweets that Jimmy Himes is reading on fucking air. <laughs> do y'all do y'all remember when he posted that gumbo, thinking that oh this is some good ass gumbo? It had a fucking and it went viral. It went viral. It went to like as bad as she is, it went to Jamel Hill and like, it went that big out there and people were roasting him for that gumbo. Um, that was high. That was Jimmy Himes. Yeah. Yeah. Nasty ass slot. Yeah, it went viral. Like it, had, like if you go look, if you can go look at that tweet, hit quote tweets and look at everybody responding to it on the quote tweets. I remember now I saw, Oh God, that might take me just a minute. Uh, that'll yeah. take, yeah, yeah, it was I a long time. That, and I was like, that shit's nasty, but I have not realized that was him. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't remember which game it was, but after one of the games this year, um, me, uh, Lo, Lo's mom, my wife, and some other folks went to um, walk-ons um, after one of the games, and Jimmy Himes was there doing his radio show. and I, I, Several times I yelled, Jimmy Himes don't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> He's the type of dude, like he's the one joke that has been going on about him for years. That he's always late to the, to the source. Like a news will break and like an hour later, he'll, he'll confirm it and tweet it out. Like that was the big joke about him. Jimmy. Now he's getting his sources together. I can't believe I'm trying. You're making me stand for Jimmy freaking high. You're cucking. You're cucking. No, no, no. I just, I guess it's a, I guess it's a nostalgia thing. Like he's been doing it so long. I, I love I love the Vol Network because the, when I was a kid, you know, John Wilkerson was doing the Vol scoreboard after games. I was with my grandfather. I was like 10, 11, 12. 
and I know Jimmy's been doing it forever. But I guess it's a nostalgia thing for me. I guess it's just Jimmy it's Hobbs. Whatever. Jimmy Hobbs is the Knoxville radio version of Booger McFarland on Monday Night Football. God, money. <laughs> I, uh, you guys. Give John Wilkerson his own show. Y'all took very polar opposite stances on this. Uh, and I'm just sitting here like I really don't even know the dude. I'm not going to. The only, really? the only radio show Lo listens to is her own. Right. So she don't even she don't even know who these guys are. I really, I mean, I don't have the time. Shit. Yeah. You don't, really you don't. You don't need to listen to anybody else. You got this. <laughs> um, interesting takes though, but I'm just gonna leave it in the middle. I really, yeah. I'll let y'all take that one. Um, very last question. At Stacy Bell asked us, where will we be ranked in recruiting? So, uh, man, I looked at the recruiting rankings today, and I was not happy. So, right now we're 20th. And I always said that you can be you can be 7th in the nation, but 5th in the SEC. And if you're 5th in the SEC, you're behind, right? So, we're 20th in the nation, and we're 8th in the SEC. You know what's pathetic? South Carolina, Arkansas – Kentucky and Missouri is ahead of us to this point. Now, we got a couple of weeks. We got February. We got transfer. I don't think transfers count against the, the rankings, do they? I don't think. They um, don't. Okay. They don't get – yeah. So, that's not good. Now, we can praise Hopple. He can get these guys open down the sideline. He can light up the scoreboard. One of my question marks before coming into the season was defense – he kind of check marked that off a little bit. It kind of depth wore out probably in our ranking went higher. Okay, that's fine. Recruiting. Gotta recruit the Jimmies and the Joes if you want to compete. And uh, to this point, maybe and I said this a a couple weeks ago. He still hasn't had that one recruit that's like the staple of his class. And I'm hoping that one recruit sometimes can get more and more coming. They kind of recruit guys talented with them to come. Um, but we're still waiting on it. But we'll see in a couple of weeks what he does. Bandit. Um, I think this class will finish around 15th, um, maybe um, 14 or 13th. Um, but I think you'll see after the next season starts – it might sneak into the top 10 because like Leland was just hitting on, I think this staff will kill it in the transfer portal again. And um, transfers don't receive their rating until after um, the beginning of the next season. A lot of the times, a lot of the times if they do rate them during the transfer process, they just slap a three star on them and then they go back and reevaluate after um I, th- I think the transfer portal is going to be huge, not just this year, or not just last year. Obviously, we needed help from transfer portal, but with the um, possible impending sanctions still from the NCAA scholarship reductions, I think this year and looking in even into next year already, um, the transfer portal will be huge. So I I would put us around fifteenth, maybe sneak into top ten after final ratings come out on some of our transfers. So you were talking earlier about this 247 update and quick throughout the day. 
I wrote these notes down probably today around lunchtime. So we we moved up two spots in a span of five hours or so. So we're at 18th. We actually passed South Carolina. Huh. And, to, and really, it doesn't really take a lot to get in the top 10. Sometimes you can have more numbers, not necessarily better quality. You can just have more numbers than everybody else, and you can kind of weasel your way up. Now, I prefer to have, you know, I want my quality to be great, like, quantity right now is what we need because we need bodies but you want quality in your in your stuff so you know we could get you could get a couple four stars and easily be in the top 10 in in a couple weeks when signing day is it next week or the week after next wednesday okay okay next week that's that's the hourly signing day i gotta in real quick okay said florida was at 70th and butch jones was at 71 that's funny as yep. shit. So, I got, so, so Golden Child, that everybody loves, Lane Kiffin, he is at 32. And you think that he could roll out, and like it, when, that one year he was with us, he got like Nukies Richardson and, and the um, who's the running back, Brown. He was like the number one player in the country. Bryce like Brown. Mr. Bryce Brown. So Mr. Wonderboy, he's at 32 right now. And Baylor just won the Big 12. They're at 35. Purdue, who we play, they're at 36. Iowa, number one team or number one uh, defense in the in the in the country. You know, played for the Big Ten title, all that stuff. They're at 39. But to where we need to be, we need to be a little higher. But like some of these big names, but that's crazy about Florida. They're losing. Yeah. I'm hoping that we get in on some of those guys that they're that's decommitting from them. There's there's so many schools in our area that we need to be poaching from. I mean, you look at the decommits at Oklahoma, the decommits at LSU, Florida, Clemson losing Brent Venables. Their defensive commits should be, you know, questioning their future. Um, you know, I, I hate the term poach, but we need to be we need to be poaching these dudes. I fully agree. And um, my final take on this is like like I said before when in earlier in the pod we talked about you know, playoffs and there's only a couple teams. Like I said, I really think that's going to change because these guys and with coaches leaving and all of this stuff, just shaking it up, the transfer portal really gives them an option because ultimately a lot of these guys want to go pro. Right. And, and if I was thinking that I'm going to go somewhere where I play immediately and I am the freaking star and everyone, I am setting records. I'm not going to go sit my ass third string at Alabama or I, I'm definitely not going to go to Georgia and sit, you know, on that bench either. Um, I'm going to go somewhere where I get meaningful minutes and exposure, and they're talking about me on every network. That's where I'm going. And ultimately, I, I fully trust our coaching staff. I think they're going to pull some big seals. I said we would finish up around 15th um, by the end of this in ranking for recruiting. But my, like I've said always – just player development and coachability goes a long way. This season proves that to us. So that's kind of my last take on it. Any more questions? That is it. Okay, before we head out, I just want to talk about the Music City Bowl just for one second. So the other day, tickets, I was on. I was online for like four hours. First off, it pissed me off they didn't announce the bowl to like four. So it wasted my whole NFL Sunday. Secondly, um, <clears throat> So I checked it at 
So what I would do is I would find my section, find my tickets, and I'd add them to my cart. When I added them to my cart, it only lets you hold those tickets for like seven minutes. So after the seven minutes went, went off, I'd go back, find my tickets, put them back in the cart. So around one o'clock, they went up a hundred bucks, the, all four tickets, right? That includes like the fees and all that stuff. So when they finally announced it, they went up another 30, 40 bucks. So I just think that's, and it, I, I kind of apologize to Ticketmaster. It wasn't only Ticketmaster. They were just the first ones to do it. The rest of the secondary sites, and, I, and by the way, I think these second, secondary sites are god-awful. Try your best to never buy tickets from these secondary sites. They jack the prices up. They add fees. Like, I have to deal with it with watching the Cowboys play. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. So, like a family of four, you, you can go to an MLB game for less than 40 bucks if you find the right tickets. Like, I went to a Braves game last year. It was like $7. Football in all sports, in the pro and college, is different for some reason. It's ridiculous. So um, as soon as Brett McMurphy announced it, that wasn't the official time. It went up, and then when the Music City Bowl Twitter account announced it, it went up. Now, I don't know if it was a Tennessee thing. They know Tennessee fans are crazy. But my section started out at like 105 per ticket, and Bandit, I think you ended up buying t- section 119. We didn't end up buying them. So now we told you to sit with us. We can't sit with you. I'm pissed about that because by the time – because I didn't want to buy them and then them announced that we were going to like Outback Bowl, and then I'm stuck with these tickets. So I waited till they announced it. By the time that they announced it, that my section was 185. Went from 105 to 185. So I thought I was slick. I got sent a link to, to Purdue's website. Went on to Purdue's website. Actually charged my credit card for four tickets. They sent me an email today. They're going to refund me the money. They don't have enough. So what it is, that the, um, the SEC has a deal or something with an allotment. The schools don't get it. The secondary sites get it. And the Big Ten... The Purdue themselves get an allotment to send out to their season ticket holders. It's SEC is fucked when it comes to that. It's bull crap. So long story short, I don't have tickets to this point. At some point, I'm either going to wait until they'll slide down, which I think they will. So anybody who doesn't have tickets, wait two weeks and then go from there slowly, and the tickets on Ticketmaster will slowly come down. Now, if that doesn't work, I'm just going to buy nosebleeds. But a couple people have hit me up and want to hang out and maybe tailgate or do something. We're going to find some way to do something. Now, Bandit, you're more – you're a Titans cuck, and you know more about Nashville and tailgating can, in, in the parking lot and all that. So do you I need can, a pass? Like, do you need so, a tailgating um, pass, or can you just buy a spot and tailgate in the spot? You'll, you'll need a, a parking pass. Um but I'll go ahead and tell you where we'll be. There's a lot. Um, if you look at an actual Titans um, parking pass map, um, it'll be across the intersection from lot A. Um, people people aren't going to be able to, to go off what I'm saying. But I'll, I'll tweet out the address. Um, I think it's $20 a spot. It's called main event parking. But So it's just the parking, and then you can do whatever you want in the parking, right? Yeah, they got a big field back in the back. Um, 
a lot of the times for Titans games, the the Bussin' with the Boys podcast is set up back there in the back, uh, Will Compton and Taylor Lewan. But um, that's that's most definitely where I'll be. Where um, um, are you going up there Thursday morning? Yeah, yeah, I'll leave. Out uh, what of here. time? What time are you leaving up there? Early. 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 Okay. Yeah, me too. I wanted to make it a whole day thing. It, you know, I know people are so pissed that we're going to Music City. I know there was a player too. They want to go to Florida. I know. I wish for them they were going to Florida, but for me, I'm glad they're going to Nashville because I want to go. I can't stand paying money on a hotel. I know you wanted to, but um, close. The whole stadium is probably going to be orange. Lo, you're going for the. Um, Going yeah, for basketball game. I'm going for basketball. I'll be up there next weekend. I'm hoping to God that it is a better performance than last night. But I couldn't get off work for the bowl game. Um, but that's all right. I've taken a lot of trips this year and wanted to save some PTO and yeah. Things. So I'm solid. I'm good with the decision. Um, but yeah, I'm done. Yeah, you got to talk shit to uh, Penny. He's a bitch. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to try to do something, get together for the Mute City Bowl. So any last thoughts? That was a pretty cool podcast. We went almost two hours. I know. It was um, long. But thanks for a shout-out to uh, Mr. Charters for coming on Talking Purdue. Uh, we got a couple guests the next couple weeks, including a crosstalk with Purdue podcast in two weeks. And we, got, we may have a guest next week, so we'll see. But any last thoughts before we head out? Okay. Um, I would just say, and, you know, if anybody listens this deep into the pod, I'm sure somebody does at some point in their work week. If you haven't bought tickets for the Music City Bowl yet, don't do it till like the day before. I've been doing bowl season for a while. I usually try to make a couple bowls other than the Tennessee Bowl if they're in one. Um, if you would if you would have went on to a second party or third party ticket service two weeks ago, you could have probably bought tickets to any bowl tennessee was eligible for probably bought two tickets to every one of those bowls. lower level for 50 bucks or something 50 bucks and then tennessee gets announced to one and you sell the other ones for triple once they're announced um if if people are already tweeting about the prices of the bowl tickets you've waited too late and just keep waiting because the day before you'll be able to sell them or buy them from somebody i'm telling you about by December yeah. 29th, they'll be 40 bucks. And as a fan of the most popular NFL team, Bandit, the Cowboys, anytime every year what I do, and I had to learn this the hard way, you wait until the week before and they were and, and buyers or sellers will get desperate and they'll drop the price. Do not buy them in the next couple of weeks. Wait at least a week before the game. But we can head out, peeps. Who's that? Ew, Jesus. <laughs> Is that Lee Corso? It's Jerry Jones. Oh, Ew. Did you see that picture I took of him, like, making out with his, his brother son. or something? He was kissing him on the cheek. Good God. No, he, he wasn't. Was in his son. Did you see her about him hinting like this? There was a t- there was a, you were him. There was a TMC, the TMZ article yesterday that he handed about on his days off of the Cowboys. He sits around naked on the couch. That's like the rest of us. I mean, don't we all do that? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I totally do that. (laughs) (laughs) Viewership just went up. (laughs) It's my couch. Keep talking talking low. The viewers are going up. Yeah. All right, guys. That was fun. DR, come back next week.
See y'all later. Peace. Yeah.